just past 7 o'clock, Monday night. You gotta love it. Time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and we are fired up tonight. It's going to be another good one, Ira. We're really excited about this. First and foremost, you're in studio. We love that, but um, doesn't mean you weren't busy this week. What have you been up to? Um, just went to the Heat uh, Hawks game on last Tuesday, and I'll go this Tuesday. So it's fun to go down to Miami. I love playoff basketball. I mean, this I was telling you, I love this time. This is a great week. We have the first round games. There's three. Good basketball games tonight that I'm excited about. Uh, there's three tomorrow. I'm going to be at one of the games. I'm in. The, it's and then you have games throughout the week, and then I have the draft on Thursday. It's just to me. It's then Thursday and Friday really for the mm-hmm. draft. Like this is a fun week. It's a sneaky fun for me at least. I find this week to be. You know, so what's the best week? The best days? The best days? Sport? All this, I love this week. This is a great sports week. Well, me and you are also huge draft guys. We love the draft. I think more than most people. Probably not more than our guests tonight though. And we'll tell you about him. So. A lot of people, especially now, everywhere you look online, there's a mock draft. And it's really, Ira, just people throwing stuff against the wall for clicks and views. You'll see uh, the Chiefs are going to trade up in the first round for a quarterback. This is not going to happen. Our guest tonight is Walter Cherapinski from WalterFootball.com. And, you know, there's a a company that rates all these draft guys. The two guys from WalterFootball.com were ranked number one and number four in total accuracy this year. We're having on Walter well, last year, last, last year, year. We're having on Walter Cherapinski from Walter Football, the guys who do it the best. He's coming on at 7.30. We're excited about this. Well, I think because what they do is they talk to the teams, they get information about the teams from the teams, and then they think about, are the teams lying to us? This is what they, the past, I mean, that, and that's what you have to do. And I, I we're saying, well, why isn't Mel Kuyper right? Why isn't all these other, well, pa, Todd McShay right all the time? Because there's they have other agendas. They're entertainers. Mm-hmm. They might be saying something to get people more excited about the draft or get someone to talk about maybe pushing a player for an agent. There's an agenda these other guys have, whereas these people like Walter, the, he's just trying to pick who is who are, where, who are the Steelers going to draft at their position. And, you know, it's interesting. He'll go into depth on players. He'll talk about their flaws, whereas, you know, you're watching the draft. In the fourth round, every guy's great. When you're watching, that's all they'll say. By the way, Mel Kuyper was number 77 in accuracy last year, <laughs> and Todd McShay was number 37. And we've got number one and four uh, putting their brain trust together here tonight at 7.30 with Walter Cherapinski joining us. Can't wait for this. Don't forget, at Ira on Sports across all social media, you can keep up with Ira, have fun with him. Um, so let's jump right into basketball, Ira. You don't like the term gentleman sweep. But. Oh, I hate that term. I <laughs> hate that term so much. So Gentlemen sweep. It is just the worst <laughs> term. Because I think, I'm going to say this about this whole idea about sweeping. That's why I was mad about the Heat when they lost game, would be three, or game, yeah, game three. Mm-hmm. Um, you Anything can happen. We see these injuries in the playoffs. You want to win every game. You want to win. You have to get, you want to win your four games and get out. Who cares if you have to rest? Who cares if you have time off? You want to win your series because when you're playing in these playoffs and they are playing hard, like if you watch the regular season basketball game and you watch these games, two different sports. This is literally two different sports. And so you don't, you want to end it. End it, and that's why you. That's why to me, four one is you want to be four zero. Yeah, the connotation, gentlemen, sweep like we're giving them a game. That's just not how it's going to work in the in the NBA or any playoff series. So let's start right off with with Miami and Atlanta. Talk about where we are, how we got there. Well, it's three one in the series. The Heat won game one. Uh, then the, then they won one fifteen one oh five. That was the game where I went to, and that was the on last Tuesday, and that was the Jimmy Butler show. He had one of the greatest playoff performances. Yeah. That when you're saying the only players that have ever had forty points, five rebounds, five assists. LeBron and Wade and now Jimmy Butler. That's Small pretty, company. Yeah, it's, it's pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, it just the the Heat led most of the game in the fourth quarter. The Hawks cut it to three, but Butler had a dunk a three. Then he drove with another for two. What I loved about how Butler played in this game was he hit everything. He hit the three point shots. He drove to the basket. He passed the ball. He made his foul shots. It was like Jordan esque, Kobe esque. That's how I compared it. I, I, it was just one of those. David Dave Hyde. We had him on from Sun Sentinel. He really said it was that's a Dwayne Wade type of game. There's one of, where Wade isn't the greatest three-point shooter, but those big games, he drank, he made his threes. It was four for seven from three, 11 for 12 from the foul line. Just an amazing game. And, and what's so interesting about the Heat was Duncan Robinson, who had 27 points in game one, he had zero points played uh, in, in 17 minutes in game two. Struess was five for 10, Heroes five for 11. But it was like, that was the game where, where it, you know, in terms of coming and taking the lead, that giving them a 2-0 lead in the series was, was crucial. You want for the Heat, you want to get out of the series, you have to go 
up 2-0. Then you go to game three, and this is where, you know, the game was delayed for an hour because of a bomb threat outside. The fans, it's a weird house start of the game. But in the third quarter, the Heat went on a 21. This is the one thing about these playoffs. These runs. He went Insane. on a 21 to nothing run in the third quarter. They're up 84-68. So now they're ready to make it 3-0. And if teams that are leading 3-0 in a series are 143 and nothing. So that's what they are in the playoffs. And then they were just awful at the end. They blew the lead. Butler, we were up, he were up one. Butler misses a shot with 12 seconds to go. And that's when they let Trey Young, who they were sort of boxing the whole game, just let him dr- drive down, hit a floater, takes the lead by one. And then he'd have a chance to hit a shot at the end. And Butler takes another bad shot at the end. Uh, just a bad game all around in terms of losing that type of game. Uh, Lowry got hurt in the game, their point guard from the Heat. And Trey Young was had 24 points, eight assists. Bogdanovich played great also, 18 points for them. But And Hero had 24 points for the Heat. But just, I hated that game. They're up 2-0, make it 3-0, end it. Now they lose that. Put but it then, away. Put it away. But then I got to give them credit. Because then what happens in game four? Now you're missing Lowry. Clint Cabela comes back for the for the Hawks, their center, and then you're getting nervous. But the Heat, they took a 27-point lead. In the second quarter, they outscored him 30-15. to 15. Um, It was like one of those things where the Heat went on a 15-0 run, then 11-0 run. Butler, again, big game, 36 points. And this is what I like about Butler. People say, oh, every now and then he'll play great. The fact that two of these games so far, he's had these huge points have been in, crucial. And uh, Hero was terrible, one for eight shooting. Struess was four for 16. But they shut down Trey Young, three for 11, nine points, five assists. I mean, here's someone who's well, a third or fourth scorer in the league, 27, 20 points a game, only had nine points. But And they got Victor Oladipo in the game, playing some of Lowry's minutes. But one of those things that leads me to think that they're a seven-point favorite tomorrow, I'll tell you what, he better just win it. They just got to win it. Because now, look, the Bucks are up 3-1. The the, the uh, Celtics are up 3-0. The Heat can't be playing a seven-game series and winning a game seven and with all these injuries and something. Get, get over with the series, get a few days rest, and then call, go to the next round. No, I, I absolutely agree with you uh, in, in that sense. Let's close this out. But you were pretty quick here in getting your tickets, and there was a good reason for that. It's weird how expensive these tickets are. I mean, I could not believe the pricing. So I bought, the moment that they, we saw there was a game on Tuesday, I went and bought the ticket online. You can buy them when it's blue on Ticketmaster. I just bought it like that. I, just, so I was watching it, and then I saw where like the ticket right next to it, like about about an hour later, was like the ticket next to it was a double what I paid. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Now the prices are going down a little bit, but I was like, it's happy to see when you buy something, like right when the game ended, I hit buy, and then the next thing you know, this ticket right next to it is double what you paid. I mean, it was the same price. It's now double so it was pretty it's like the day trading of, of tickets is what it's hard do. to understand the pricing and then i watch it i'm the only person who goes to a game and i sit there and i look at my phone like did i buy it should have gone lower where <laughs> the prices are going to go and i'm noticing that there's some tickets come up but i'm just it's like i do like to sit in the middle two sections i do like to sit as low as i possibly can and uh so it's like but it's not sitting in the flagship club which is super expensive i mean they're crazy pricing and whatever david beckham was at the game i was so gonna say sat, celebrities so there was a sure. few not as many as you would think in being in miami but David Beckham was there and it was nice after J- but Jimmy Butler had that big game he came over was hugging Beckham I got a great picture I got some good pictures online for Instagram of that of him like just hugging Beckham and it was exciting and stuff like that once again at Ira on Sports where to find all those pictures 712 this is Ira on Sports true oldies channel other other um matchup we're seeing in the Eastern Conference and this is one we kind of thought would be a quick series as well as Philly and Toronto yeah, I thought it was going to be quick by the fact that Toronto had a lot of injury problems, and now they even have more. Fred Van Fleet, their star point guard, is now out for yeah. the next game. I can't believe it. I think Philly's going to be favored tonight. I think it's like seven points. So I, I would be shocked that that there would be that game starts at eight o'clock, and I can't right when we go off the air. But uh, the Toronto won the first. I mean, Philly won the first game by, and then and then they won. Then they won the second one of twelve ninety seven. And Bede has been just dominating in this thirty one points, eleven rebounds. Harden has been just. Fair. But the fact is that Tobias Harris and Maxi are playing so well. I mean, this is this is one of those things where uh, where Maxi now is showing where they got rid of Simmons and you, but he when he wasn't playing, but they got rid of Seth Curry and Drummond. It's just the moves that whole trade between the Sixers and the Raptors. So that this this worked out great for them. And then uh, the Sixers won 104-101 in Game Three. And that was one of those things where the Sixers were, it was that, this was one of the best games of the series. Embiid, at the end of the game, had a chance to win it. He misses the shot. Harris gets the rebound, doesn't get it, almost like like Charles Smith type of play. Goes in <laughs> overtime, and Anobi misses a free throw, uh, gives the Sixers a chance to take another lead. This is overtime. Embiid gets the ball. He fumbles the ball. They call timeout. And then he gets a thirty uh, three-point shot to win it with no time left. That was exciting. Like, that was, to me, that was a big shot for Embiid. 
at that time to do that. But he said he hurt his thumb during the game, and now it comes out that Embiid has a pulled ligament in his thumb. He's going to keep playing, will have surgery after the season. However, in game four, he had 21 points and eight boards. They lost the game. The Raptors played fantastic, but he just didn't seem that same dominating self, which leads me to believe that if the Heat can get through and play the Sixers, I do think they're going to beat this, beat the Sixers in the next round. But uh, because Harden, again, five for 17, he had 22 points, but he's just not shot well. This is Harden clearly is slow. He's not blowing by people. At least he's playing, not like Ben Simmons is. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, Embiid with a hurt thumb. And also, you know, he I just think he's wearing down. I just saw him real slow that game. So we'll see what happens, especially when you start playing plus every other day. This is gonna be a problem for the Sixers. And that's an interesting way to look at it because despite, you know, Ben Simmons and, and Embiid's differences, it has been like a 50-50 in responsibility up until this year. Now this has been the Embiid show. He might be tired. He's never had to do this before. Well, he's waiting for Harden to take over too, but Harden isn't really so much. I think a lot depends on Tobias Harris and Tyra Maxey in terms of them stepping up. They, look, it, the Heat and Sixers are going to be a very exciting series. The the Heat might have problems matching up with Embiid, but with this th- with his thumb hurt, you know, there's other players saying, look, I can't play. And they're amazed that he's playing with his thumb as injured as, as it is, and they really don't have the depth. They got rid of their depth when they made the depth when they made the Harden trade. So we'll see what happens going forward. And it's interesting you say, you know, Harden, is it safe to assume that at this point in his career, he is just a guy? He's not a superstar anymore. That's the question they'll have to answer at the end of the season when he wants five years, $250 million. So I think that's a that's a point in terms of he just seems, his hamstrings bother him. He's lost a lot of quickness uh, and can't just dominate. But uh, he looks like he did last year. He really has not looked good. Now it seems like in like two years almost. If Durant doesn't want you there, it's probably for a reason. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Bucks and the Bulls, and we're going to see. We thought that Giannis and the Bucks would be able to, to do pretty well, and they have so far, but the Bulls have put up a little bit of a fight here and there. Yeah, the Bucks won 93-86 in the first game, but in the second game, the Bulls, I mean, this is where DeRozan scored 41 points. Um, they were, uh, it was just one of those things where I just could not believe that game, too, in, in Milwaukee. Milwaukee tends to be like a, you could see in these series, like even last year, they had some problems earlier, and they roll. They started get feeling it, and to, and to split at home was a, was a mistake, because they had won like 18 and 19 games against the Bulls, but then they go back to Chicago. So now the series was 1-1. They go to Chicago. They win the first game, one 111-81, total blowout. This now Chris Middleton uh, got hurt in Game Two, so you're thinking, oh, maybe the Bucks are going to, or Milwaukee's going to, there's you know problems. They're going to be susceptible to an upset again. But Grayson Allen came out eight for twelve, five or seven threes, twenty-two points. He's hated in Chicago because he injured Alex Caruso, and he's hated overall because he played a Duke and he <laughs> kicked people and he batted. But Giannis, twenty-nine minutes, only eighteen points, nine assists, seven boards. Giannis is showing he's the best player in basketball right now. He's Dominating, they was that game was even close, and then they played yesterday, and again another total blowout. They won by 24 points. Uh, they didn't have Middleton again, but Grayson Allen 10 for 12, six for seven threes, 27 points. Giannis 32 points, 17 rebounds. Uh, Portis comes, Bobby Portis comes at 14 points, 10 rebounds. Look great. The Bulls just had nothing to match against them, even though it was just the Bucks look fantastic in those games, and Giannis is unstoppable. And I just love how he plays and the enthusiasm and the fact that he's able to bring great. A guy like Grayson Allen in and plays so great, even when they lose their second best player. So, <laughs> moving on to the next one, I don't think anybody saw this coming. And you probably should have been able to predict this because we're looking at a team, a team that plays together, that plays defense in Boston versus basically two guys in Brooklyn. And the results have been all Boston so far. Ira, I'm really impressed with the way they're playing. When this year started, people were questioning Boston a lot. They they had been trying for like four or five years since Kyrie. Remember, Kyrie was a point guard there. That didn't work. They bring Kemba Walker. That didn't work. They bring Dennis Schroeder in. That didn't work. All along, they had a point guard in Marcus Smart, who's named the defensive player of the yeah. year. And that's who really has developed a role. And when Kyrie played there, he played there with uh, Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown when they were just starting out first and second year players. And and it just, it was one of those things where everything was deferred to Kyrie. Kyrie said, I'm going to sign with Boston. This is where I'm going to be in my career. Of course, he leaves. You know, <laughs> trust, <laughs> trusting Kyrie was going to stay. But this team started this year when Brad Stevens left and Amiya Doku became their coach. They had problems when the year started. They, they looked like, oh, they're going to trade Brown or trade Tatum. And this is one thing I want to say on the show. I 
this idea that Tatum is a top 10 player in the league, and I think he might be, he's trending, he plays great defense. Jalen Brown is just as good as Jason Tatum, and no one is You've talking been about that him. For years. I can't <laughs> understand it because at the end of this of these games, they give it to Jalen Brown. T was the one who was like getting Blake Griffin out. Like Jalen Brown is as good as Jason Tatum, and I might be the only person that says it, but because I like Tatum a lot, but he they have two super stars. They might have two of the top 12 players in the league on their team, and right now their two are playing better than Kyrie and Durant. But it was like one of those things where, look, Brooklyn made that trade. They brought in Ben Simmons. I mean, this is just, it's just so much drama because you have Ben Simmons sitting on the sideline and he's wearing the Phoenix Suns. Now, they thought it was Nick wear, but it looked like Phoenix Suns. It was sunglasses. And he's also because of a bad back. So he's sitting elevated. So he looks like uh, like Yoda or whatever on Star Wars. <laughs> but, <laughs> and he's sitting up there with, with, with Phoenix Suns outfits. Everyone else is wearing black. I mean, Brooklyn's colors are black. That's all they have is like all black. He's wearing this, this blue and orange and then the sunglasses. And he's not playing and they said he they should just said he's not going to play at all but to say he's going to play game four now his back's bothering him and this is bothering him and that is it's just ridiculous and and the fact that he can't come out there for 15 minutes and play and it's just I just love watching Stephen A. Smith blast him how he's playing you know just for Ben Simmons not participating in the game is crazy and then the point is that you know the Celtics were the Celtics did not have Robert Williams their star center the first two games and this is where there was a chance I thought where the first game actually but they where they where the Nets might be able to take one of those games not take advantage of it. Now Williams came last game, played well. I think it's going to, that's going to be a big problem for them going into tonight's game. But again, in the first game we talked about on last week's show, crazy ending where Tatum hits the ball at the end, of the, the shot at the end of the game. But then Boston won 114-107 at home for the second game. Coach K was in the stands watching Kyrie Irving. People forget that Kyrie played for Duke for eight games. Jason Tatum, <laughs> Seth Curry. Brooklyn was up 17 points in the game. Boston went on a 23-4 run. Durant and Kyrie were one. I, I, I just the stat is simply staggering. One for 17 in the second half. One for 17. Durant shot for the game. Four for 17. Kyrie, four for 13. It was one of the worst performances you could imagine. Tatum didn't shoot well, but he just shut down uh, um, Durant. And Jalen Brown, 22 points. He had 10 in the fourth quarter. And that was like a big win. I mean, this was to go and win that, to make it go up 2-0. But then everything came back to home court where they had this weekend where Boston played Brooklyn in Brooklyn. Like, okay, Brooklyn's down 2-0. They'll win this. You can't go down 3-0. And uh, Boston took a nine-point lead in the fourth quarter and just cruised. I mean, Tatum had 39 points, six steals. Jalen Brown, 23 points. Robert Williams was back in the game, as I mentioned. But Durant, how about this? He played 46 minutes and was six for 11 for 16 points. It's crazy. Six, he averages 30 points a game. It's unbelievable. 16 points. It's unbelievable. During the regular season, he averaged 30 points in the regular season, 22 now. He shot 52% in the regular season, 36% for the playoffs. And how about this? In turnovers, three and a half of the regular season, six turnovers now. Kyrie was just as bad for 16 points. I mean, they were outscored 62 to 32. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum outscored Durant and Kyrie. And it's just unbelievable. And now they're set. We're watching the game right now. It's uh, Boston's up. I see the score 21-12 with four minutes to go in the first. You know, it's funny. We were talking off air. We were talking on air as well about the difference between a team and some good players. And we were talking off air about, think about some of the players that the Nets have given up so if, if these guys were around them, maybe they'd have a shot. These guys are excelling with other teams. Meanwhile, they wanted to kick them off to get their buddies in there. And this is just not how you win. The Harden trade was a disaster because they had Karis LeVert and Jared Allen still on that team to bring get rid of Karis LeVert, who's played great. And Jared Allen, who's emerging as one of the great young centers of the league. Uh, and they don't, have, they don't have any height. They don't have anything. And that's what's really hurting them. And they don't play team basketball. It's ISO basketball. And Boston knows how to play. Like when one team dribbles. And it's I've always said this about Durant. Durant, is that I was shocked when the Cavs could have exploited. Is Durant likes to dribble, but he's seven feet tall. So it's hard for him to dribble. So when you come and double him, one person goes high and the one person goes low. So when he tries to dribble, you steal the ball. That's why he's all these turnovers. <laughs> he keeps turning the ball over because they are they are swarming him and playing smart defense. And it's like, look, the Heat are doing great against Trey Young, but that's one thing. Trey Young is less than six feet tall. Yeah. To do this against Durant, this is this is uh, you know this is like a masterclass in defense by the Boston Celtics. Boston is now um, favored to win out of, out of the East, favored to win the uh, entire thing and come out of it just from this performance alone. It's Ira on Sports 723. I'm Mike Balsamo. Walter Cherepinski, WalterFootball.com, one of the NFL Draft's leading experts in the world, and I'm not kidding about that, joins us in about 10 minutes. Let's head over to the West, Ira. Suns versus New Orleans, and this one's a little closer than people thought it was going to be. Well, the Suns won game one uh, where, where Chris Paul was amazing, but uh, the uh, 
the, this is the one in the series where New Orleans started the season 3-16. and 16. They were 36-46. and 46. The Suns won 64 games. Let me get this straight. They won <laughs> 36 games. The Suns won 64. They should even be in the playoffs, but they won the play-in game, the 9-10 game. They won the 9-8 game. But during the year, they Brandon Ingram has developed from the Lakers. He could have been on the Lakers. They traded him in the Anthony Davis trade. Has Another now developed into a superstar. And Valasunas, they brought from Toronto. Toronto won Valasunas. He's developed and started playing great. But the trade for C.J. McCollum, CJ McCollum was in Portland. He was sort of the Batman, Robin to D, uh, Damon Lillard's Batman. And he played great. And people said, well, CJ McCollum's a nice player and he got some money, but he's not going to be. But he has played fantastic. And then you mix in like these three or four uh, rookies that are just Herb Jones. I mean, they're just making plays every game. They, this team is a exciting team. It just is what if for the Pelicans? Because they have Zion Williamson sitting on the bench. I'm telling you, if they could get Zion Williamson, like, this is what I said about Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson should stop looking at the Knicks, stop looking at the Nets, stop looking at the Lakers. Look Zion Williams should say, "What? this is the best team for him. If Zion Williams could get in shape and get healthy, this team with Zion at, a, at Zion's level, this team could, could win the title. So there's, this is the best place for him. Stop looking everywhere else. They'll pay him whatever he wants to eat, but the max you have to get paid. But for Zion, there's no better team for him than this good, great young team right now. We were talking off air again. Imagine if LeBron had stayed in Miami. What this team would look like with Tyler Hero, with Bam Adebayo, with the amazing undrafted guys they have. The grass isn't always greener. Kevin Durant's learning that very well, leaving uh, Golden State. So what happened next year? Well, in game two, New Orleans, a big upset. I mean, I was at the Heat game and leaving it. I'm listening to it, and I have Booker on a fantasy team. Booker had uh, uh, 31 points for the Sun, Suns in the first half. 31. I'm like, this he's going to score 70 for this game. This is going to be amazing. But he pulled his hamstring, so he's out. And when he was when he got hurt, they were they were trailing 77-74. Um, and then they just, Suns, turnovers, everything was bad. And suddenly, it was, they just, Brandon Ingram, 37 points, 9 assists, 11 boards. C.J. McCollum played great. The Pelicans out-rebounded them by 10. And the Suns, this was at home. The Suns never lose at home. And the Suns ended up losing that game. It was like, one. it's weird. Like, they ended up losing that game. You're like, wow, okay, just we'll write it off. But it reminds me of Game 5 last year in the in the, in the the finals when they lost to Milwaukee. Everyone thought there was going to be a Game 7. That's going to be a decision. But they lost Game 5. They go to Game 6 again in Milwaukee. I was at that game. Milwaukee wins. Series over. Milwaukee the champion. But they, if they don't lose Game 5, they could have lost Game 6 and had forced a Game 7. It was the Game 5 loss that hurt them. Then the Suns came back with no Booker, and they won. Now, this was a great game. 114-111. Um, the Suns the Suns really could not put the Pelicans away the whole game. But Chris Paul took over fourth quarter, 19 points. Um, he made shots from 14 feet, 12 feet, 15 feet. He finished with 28 points. 14, he was just finished with a with a 14 assist and zero turnovers. A great game for him. Uh, and DeAndre Aitchin played great, 28.17 boards. But Ingram, again, Brandon Ingram for New Orleans had 34 points. McCollum had 30. But it was like, I think that game was weird. It's like, okay, we are not going to roll down. You don't have Booker, but we're not going to just let you blow us out like in some of these other series. That was a close game. And then they come back at home. So they're down 2-1. Okay, maybe they took their one game. We'll see what happens. But then in game four, um, the, the New Orleans won 118. Phoenix 103. That was two nights ago. And I'll tell you what, the Pelicans led 89-85 at the near the end of the game, went for a 12-0 run. Uh, Alvarado, this person they're bringing in, who I hadn't heard, came in. It was Chris Paul was terrible. Two for eight, had only four points for the game. It was just tremendous play. And it was New Orleans was going crazy. And it's just the enthusiasm and everything. And the Suns, who looked dominant all year now have lost two games like they hadn't lost two games and they went uh, like two months with losing two games and now they've <laughs> lost two games and now it's like I'm not saying the Pelicans are going to win the series because it looks like Booker is out and, and, and but I'll tell you what they might. This is this is exciting. I, I, I think this has been a great this is what the Pelicans are showing is if even if they lose two more games they next year if they get Zion I mean that's the best free agent in the world they're going to be amazing. Well let's just go back to the Suns for one second. The, this team was the odds-on favorite to, you know, go to the finals, win it all. Without Devin Booker, you, you kind of have to take a step back on that projection, right? Totally, and especially now. I mean, they, they won 64 games, and they were 10 games ahead of everybody else in, in basketball. And you're like, and they even Booker was hurt, and they won games. They, Paul was out, and they won games. They seem to be impenetrable, but it's one thing to win games. It's what I love about the NBA playoffs. As the series goes on, you learn about other teams. Teams get fired up. You play them day after day. It's different than a regular season where you're playing one city one day, one city the next. You're playing every game every other day, and that gives it. And the Pelicans are gaining. You are seeing a team develop before your eyes. Yes watching this game so 
probably the most bizarre uh, bizarre matchup so far has to be Dallas and Utah. Dallas without Luka Doncic to begin this, you would think it was going to be over, but here we are tied up, and it's just been a little all over the place. What's well, so funny? The East are all three one and three zero leads, and then the West has two, three game three series, which are two two. This is one which makes no sense whatsoever no sense. because Doncic was out the first two games, and you're saying okay, actually the first three games, and you're saying oh well, Doncic is out. There's they have no chance. That's what I thought. They're dead I mean, the water. The, and, and, but Jalen Brunson, who was a star for Villanova, came up big in the first couple games without Doncic, and now he's earned himself this huge contract. He's played fantastic, um, and that was what. And I mean, Utah won the first game, but then in the second game, uh, Brunson scored 41 points, eight boards, five assists. Max Kepler was had eight three pointers, and uh, it, the Utah just looked terrible. And to lose that game, that made it one one. I know it was in Dallas, but that made the series one one. They go back to Utah, and uh, and then Dallas wins it. I mean, they come back to Utah. Okay, we're gonna, Utah's going to control this. And then Dwayne Wade's one of the owners. He's standing on the sidelines. I mean, I just was crazy without Doncic that again Brunson had this huge game, 31 points, and they made 18. I mean, Dallas just shoots three-point shots everywhere. It made 18 of them. And then it was really... He comes back. It was 2-1. Doncic comes back. And then you're thinking, okay, Dallas is going to win. Doncic's back. He's going to play. They're going to win that, make 3-1, and then they'll go home and they'll win in game five. But what happens is that they end up, Utah ends up winning the game 100-99. I mean, it was like, it was so exciting. Doncic was lit, took a lead 99-95, but Donovan Mitchell for Utah converted the three-point play. Then Dallas missed two free throws. And then uh, Donovan Mitchell threw it to Rudy Gobert for a dunk. I mean, there's always an issue with COVID. Remember that when Gobert was touching the mics, yeah. they had he was the one who stopped the world. I mean, Rudy Gobert is giving credit for stopping <laughs> Earth and everyone doing things because he touched the mics. And when he found it, he got COVID. The whole NBA season stopped. Everything else stopped. So, But Rudy Gobert hit the dunk that won the game for them. And uh, But, you know, Doncic had a great game, 30 points, 10 boards, and four assists, but just not enough. So that leads the series now. It's 2-2, and they're going to go back to Dallas for game five. And, uh, and it's really anybody's series, even though I still think Utah's a better team and will win this series. But uh, we'll see. You can't count Dallas. No, I can't. I don't know. This is the craziest series. One of the most exciting series I thought would be in the first round was Memphis and Minnesota. And so far, it's lived up to the hype at 2-2. This is a crazy one because I'll give Memphis credit. They went Minnesota won the first game in Memphis, and Memphis has a star center called Stephen Adams, and they just literally took him and said, "Sit on the bench, don't don't play. We don't need you." Because there was no way he was going to be able to play uh, with uh, with uh, with Carl, against Carl Anthony Towns, and it really worked because Carl Anthony Towns had four for seven, fifteen points. Beverly was terrible. Russell was terrible. John Morant started playing better, and Memphis blew out Minnesota this, in game two. But in game three, uh, Memphis again wins at Minnesota. They game moved to Minnesota and Memphis wins the series this crazy game. Minnesota was up 47 to 21, 26 point lead. And then from the final six minutes of the second quarter through the third quarter, they didn't even score. They went like eight, nine minutes without scoring in the game. And uh, But it was like one of the weirdest things that Memphis, this is a game where Minnesota thought this game's over, they're going to be up 2-1 and suddenly they get they lose, they end up losing the game by nine. And then, then they go in that final game in the game four, then Minnesota was able to win a really close game back and forth. They won 119-118 and Memphis starters were in foul trouble the whole game. Their coach Taylor Jenkins was complaining about it, but with now it's back to Memphis for Game Five. It's a three-game series, and in, you know two-two. And John Moran has not played well. Everyone's waiting for this playoffs to be the coming-out party for John Moran. He really has not shot the ball well. He hasn't been aggressive. He's not used to this intensity in the playoffs it, where they're fouling him and not getting the foul called. So even he admitted he goes, "I am not." He made the comment, "I am not John Moran anymore," <laughs> like, <laughs> which I thought was funny. So that series is two-two. Well, he was named the NBA's most improved player this year. Let's see if he can uh, keep it going through the playoffs. Golden State. State in Denver, Ira. Man, this Golden State team's kind of scary when it comes down to it. They don't even need Steph Curry sometimes. Well, Steph Curry came back. I mean, this is this this. It's like everything has merged now for Golden State. They have made this road of, of whatever, and they found Jordan Poole along the way, a late first round draft pick who is now emerged as a superstar. He's all he's playing. You're almost saying they're better now without Durant, which I wouldn't say they're better than Durant, but they do. Jordan Poole lets Golden State play like Golden State wants to play without yeah. that. So because now you have Curry, you have Thompson being healthy finally for the last three four years almost as he played. Draymond Green, you have uh, uh, Wiggins who is was the first pick in the draft playing great, and then they have young players like Kaminga who's going to be a star, and you have Otto Porter Jr. coming off the bench. They are just so loaded. Gary Payton Jr. the second or how he calls, but it was like unbelievable. They won one twenty six one oh. They won the first game. They won the second game one twenty six one oh six. They won the third, 118, 113. 
And everyone was saying, oh, Jokic, he shouldn't be the MVP. He's overrated. Jokic does not have Michael Porter Jr. Jokic doesn't have Jamal Murray. He doesn't have his players. He's doing everything. I mean, Jay mm-hmm. Williams went on TV and said, oh, he's not making a difference. How can he not make a difference? He's the only person out there. He played great. He's so much fun to watch. And then in game four, what a game. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was great. Down 3-0, you would thought, oh, they'll quit. They're not going to play. They'll, they'll, but they played so hard. Draymond Green found out of the game. Curry made a shot. Jokic had a finger roll back. And then it was like at the end of the game. I mean, they put Austin Rivers in the game for Jokic. Now, this is what at the end of the game, they took Jokic out, who's the MVP of the league, maybe back-to-back MVP. They take him out of the game, and he's telling Austin Rivers, this is what they're going to play, they're going to run. He steals the ball. He's a team player. Like, everything about what Jokic, even on the bench saying that. But it was, uh, but still, look, uh, Curry had uh, 33 points. Clay had 32 points. Uh, Poole didn't play well last game, but still has been playing great. This team, Golden State, look to me, looks like the best team right now for the finals. Isn't it something to say, especially if you're someone like me who hates super teams, watching teams like Golden State, like Miami, draft players, get un- get undrafted players, develop them into superstars like we've seen them do. It just seems like a, a more fun culture and a better team than like a Brooklyn throwing guys together and saying, let's make this work. Well, we talk- and these are the teams that are succeeding. This Durant question is unbelievable. Durant was at Golden State and Curry said... I don't mind that you're going to be the MVP of the final. He was the MVP of two finals. He was hurt. They offered him the max. They wanted him to come back. He could have won three, four, five more titles oh, there, yeah. and been. And Curry would have been fine to defer. He's Curry's the Curry right now is coming off the bench for Jordan Poole. <laughs> Jordan Poole. He's coming off the bench for him to. He is the best, the most, uh, um, the serve superstar that defers, the, the deferential superstar you could imagine. To go into a team where it's Steve Kerr is a coach, go into a team where Steve Nash is the coach, and have Kyrie Irving who is. Is not a deferential superstar. And a head case. <laughs> head case who does, with the vaccination status and with how he plays the game and doesn't pass the ball and all those other factors. It just doesn't make sense in terms of what for Durant. If Durant was looking for some place, I mean, he got what he wanted, but he got a total dysfunctional. He is now Simmons and Irv and Kyrie on a team where he could have had all these other players that work together and play together as a team and sacrifice for the overall goal, which is to win. And they might be on their way out tonight. 30-26 to 26 the score right now. Celtics on top of the net. It's the end of the first. I've been looking forward to this all night. Let's bring in Walter Cherapinski from WalterFootball.com. It's time to bring in Walter Cherapinski from WalterFootball.com, one of the foremost authorities in the world on the NFL draft. Walter, thank you so much for joining us today. You're probably sick of talking about 2022 draft by now. How much work have you put into the 2025 draft? Because I know that's how you guys work at WalterFootball.com. Yeah, we have to get started on that. Uh, we have a 2024 mock draft on the site already, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be updating my 2023 mock draft this week. So, yeah, we're uh, I, you know I love the draft, and I can't wait uh, for it to get started in three days. Um, but yeah, we're already looking ahead. You do love it. You and Charlie are consistently ranked among the top in the world at picking these guys, and that's why we have you here on Ira on Sports. So, Walter, I got to ask you, you know, six or eight months ago, you would have seen Kayvon Thibodeau at the top of most mock drafts. Now we're seeing, you know, some some traction for Trayvon Walker moving up faster, but Aiden Hutchinson does seem to be the consensus number one and the top defensive end. What is it that he's done in his senior and his senior year and the last, you know, six to eight months in general that put him to the top? Well, I mean, he he had a great year. First of all, I mean, all, all these guys played phenomenally. Uh, obviously, they they they're at the top of that reason. Um, but Kayvon Thibodeau was the I would say the consensus, consensus number one during the season, but he fell off a bit. Uh, there are some character concerns with him. I know he he interviewed very poorly uh, at the combine. I, I one team spoke to him for fifteen minutes, and he mentioned his brand five times. So uh, <laughs> they, like, there's there's some question of there's some question about whether he loves football or loves. Uh, the money or, and the fame that's going to come with football. So uh, he's he's slipping a little bit, but I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he falls very far. Um, and, and you have Hutchison, who's um, he's, he's deemed the safest of the the edge rushers. Um, uh, he is the highest he is the highest floor for sure. And the Jaguars, um, I, I think they're leaning toward him right now because of that safety. But it's it's close to fifty fifty. Charlie Campbell reported today uh, that the Jaguars are taking this down to the wire. Uh, they love Trayvon Walker's upside. So they could really go either way with these two guys. So I'll preface this by saying I am a New York Giants fan, but it looks like, you know, according to you guys' drafts at WalterFootball.com, it looks like the Giants will have the pick of the litter of offensive linemen for the uh, second time in three years. 
And you have them taking Evan Neal from Alabama. What, and I, you know, this goes both ways in a lot of mock drafts because you will see, uh, you know, Charles Cross or Ikem Aquanu uh, going first. Why do you guys have Neal going first? And why do you think he, uh, the Giants would have him first? Um, well, it's, uh, we, we have some information. Fortunately, Charlie does a great job of, uh, of reporting. And, you know, the teams he's spoken to, they, they have Evan Neal higher uh, than, than Ike Kwanu. Actually, uh, we, Charlie spoke to a team uh, recently. He told me yesterday uh, that they, they have Charles Cross ahead of Iquanu. So um, I, I think it really depends on, on what teams are looking for. Right now, it seems like Evan Neal is a consensus uh, top offensive lineman, but you know, teams teams think uh, differently of prospects. Like for example, I can tell you back in 2017, uh, Deshaun Watson was taking uh, number 12 overall. Obviously, the Texans loved him. Uh, there, some other teams loved him as well. But I, I know that a team had him in the third round. So, it, like really, these teams think differently. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if some teams have Equinu uh, above Neil. Um, but th- most of the teams that Charlie's spoken to have Neil as the, as the number one tackle. Well, as a Giants fan, I can kind of relate to that because typically we take guys that other teams have in the third round. In the first <laughs> round. Um, <laughs> let's talk about um, this is a, another great wide receiver draft. But there's really no clear-cut number one wide receiver. I don't want to give away your whole draft. You can find it at WalterFootball.com. But you guys have the Jets taking the first receiver off the board. It's going to be Garrett Wilson. Why do you like the fit of Wilson to the Jets? He's an an explosive receiver. He has huge upside. And that's how the Jets have drafted uh, under Joe Douglas. Uh, They've gone for the home run picks. Like, for example, Mekhi Becton. Uh, He had had a low floor because of weight concerns. But um, you saw his potential, and the Jets fell in love with that. And the same thing with Zach Wilson last year. Uh, Zach Wilson was – he had one great year at BYU. uh, So there there was definitely a low floor there. you know, given that he wouldn't be able to live up to uh, his, his draft billing. Um, but the Jets fell in love with his potential, and I, I think that's that's going to be the case with Garrett Wilson. Uh, he, he never led Ohio State in receiving. Uh, it was always uh, Chris Olave, and, and now um, you know, he's going to be going ahead of Chris Olave, but just because of his potential, and I, I think that makes the most sense for the Jets. Um, I, I, I would note, though, I, I would have Jameson Williams above uh, Garrett Wilson if he were healthy. The, the, the 20 sales issue, though, obviously. So one of the things I love about your drafts at WalterFootball.com is you guys don't throw crazy trades out there. You, you play it the way it lies. Some drafts you'll see the Chiefs trading up to take a quarterback. Just ridiculous stuff to get printed. So, you know, speaking on to that, what is a, a draft day trade you could see happen? This isn't like... You know, the past couple of years where we saw last year, you know, San Francisco jockeying up, uh, the, the Dolphins moving around, the Eagles, none of that's happened because there's no prize QB, but what could you see happening on draft day? I can see a couple of things. Um, I, I don't see any early trades. Uh, th- this draft class is pretty weak compared to others. Uh, so uh, from, from what we, we've gathered, it seems like teams want to trade down uh, more than they want to trade up. But there, there are a couple of situations where I think uh, teams will be able to trade up. Actually, uh, the two Pennsylvania teams, I could see them uh, both moving up. Uh, so if Malik Willis gets by the Panthers six, uh, we could see him going into the teens. And, and I think that the, the Steelers would want to move up to secure Malik Willis. It sounds like they like him a lot. They obviously need a quarterback. Mitch Trubisky is their quarterback right now. And he's not, it, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a long-term answer, uh, despite him going number two overall uh, a few years ago. Uh, so I, I think the Steelers would move up. I, I just don't see them moving up all the way up to number five. I think that'd be way too expensive. But if they can move into, uh, I would say, like the, the 10 to 13 range, I, I think that would make a lot of sense to them. And then with the Eagles, uh, I, I've heard that they, they like Jordan Davis a lot. The problem is that Baltimore could definitely take Jordan Davis. Uh, they've shown a lot of interest in him. And I think the Eagles know that. So I, I can see the Eagles leapfrogging. Uh, the, the the Ravens to get Jordan Davis. Uh, I don't think they'd have to move up very far, though. We're speaking with Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com here on Ira on Sports. Ira, what do you have for Walter? Walter, Walter thanks for coming on again at Ira on Sports. Um, what I'm interested, you just said about Malik Willis going to the Panthers at six, the first quarterback from Liberty University, the first quarterback to the Panthers. And then you have Kenny Pickett going to the Saints at 16. Um, that was a little surprise. You don't see a lot there. And and also, if Pickett drops that far, you don't see the Steelers trading up trying to get Pickett. Or have they moved on from Pickett? Because, you know, he's from Pittsburgh, and they always say, the Rooney said, we, we passed on Dan Marino. That was our, I'm never going to pass on another Pittsburgh quarterback again. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe they do that, but I, I, 
I can't really find a spot for Pickett. Like you mentioned, I have him going to the Saints right now. That's not going to be the case tomorrow. I'm going to do an update tonight, and I'm not going to have Pickett there Tuesday morning. I heard that the Saints don't have much interest in him. Uh, and I've, I've been asking around, uh, Charlie and I have been asking around, we can't find a spot for Pickett at all. Um, and I, I think um, unless we hear something re- uh, soon, I'm going to have him dropping to number 32 to the Lions. Um, I, I think the Lions would definitely take him to 32. Obviously, they're not going to, too. But I, I think they would it would take a chance on him uh, at the end of the first round. Uh, there, there are two concerns with Pickett. Uh, well, maybe three. Uh, one is the lack of upside. Um, but that's that's not like a huge issue because he's, he's deemed to be pro-ready. Uh, the two issues with him are, one, is hand size. And a team in the north um, in, in cold weather, it's going to be an issue. I, I know he played in Pittsburgh. Uh, but he fumbled a lot in college, and he never really had to play uh, past Thanksgiving because the college football season, uh, basically a regular season, ends uh, around Thanksgiving. So if he goes to the Steelers, they'll have to deal with his small hands, his, like fumbling issues in December and January. I think that's going to be a big issue. So I, I think that, like if, if he goes to a team, uh, it would have to be a dome team like the Lions or a southern team that doesn't really have uh, cold weather. Um, the second issue with, with Pickett is that he had a 17 Wonderlick score. So that, that is a concern as well. I, I know the Wonderlick's not the end all be all, but it, it is still a, it's still a pretty low score, uh, that you don't want to see from a quarterback. So uh, those are the two issues with Pickett. And, uh, I, I don't, you know, we don't speak to all the teams. So like, for example, Atlanta could take him at eight, uh, theoretically, I guess, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he drops and has a, kind of like an Aaron Rodgers or Brady Quinn plummet. And then you have the Steelers. Well, that would be very interesting at 18. I'm sure Steelers fans will be thinking if he's dropping, he would pick him. But you have them picking Kyle Hamilton, a more Troy Palfanala type safety quarterback at the 20th spot for the Steelers. Yeah, I, I think Hamilton would be a nice fit for the Steelers. Um, it, it, like, it seems like Hamilton's going to drop. I, I think during the season he was projected to go in the top 10. We, we, we had him in the top 10 uh, in the fall. Uh, but, but he's, he's dropped recently, uh, because, well, first of all, he ran poorly, um, at, at his pro day. Some, some teams clocked him in in four sevens. Uh, second, some teams are concerned that he doesn't have a natural position. Uh, some teams think he's a safety. Other, th- other teams think he's a linebacker. It kind of reminds teams of Isaiah Simmons, uh, who went in the top 10 for the, uh, for the Cardinals a couple years ago. And Isaiah Simmons has struggled in the NFL. So I think there's some fear that Kyle Hamilton could be the next Isaiah Simmons, uh, and he, he could disappoint because he doesn't have a natural position. And then it was interesting. I, I know I'm harping on quarterbacks, but that's sort of why you know, they are the glamour position here. So on you have 40th. You have the Seahawks finally because of the situation in terms of uh, where they really don't know what they're doing with their quarterback. Drew Locke is their quarterback. But um, you have Matt Corral going there at 40 in the second round. You know, this is Matt Corral, who, if you looked at some of your drafts a couple of years ago, had, you know, was first or second off the board. You have him dropping all the way to the second round, but not past that second round. Yeah, he's. Um there's some issues in that corral as well. I, I guess you can say that with all the quarterbacks in this class, but uh, obviously the injury, I, I think that definitely pushed him down. Also, I've heard uh, some off the field character concerns with the corral. I, I don't know what specifically, but we've heard uh, some teams have docked him for that. Uh, so I, I think there's a chance that he drops to the second round, although. Um, it's, it's possible that the Seahawks, um, given that they have more draft capital than they originally had, uh, could move up for Corral uh, into the end of the first round. I, I think that could definitely be possible. So, um, you know, despite only having two quarterbacks in the first round of my mock draft, I, I think three could get there um, because I think a team would want to secure a quarterback and not wait one more day and also to get that fifth-year option at the end of the first round. Right, and then you have Desmond. Now, I see these mocks of Desmond Ritter, the quarterback from Cincinnati, going to uh, Pittsburgh, but that's you know pretty early, but you have him dropping all the way to 43rd to Atlanta, so that's where Atlanta would take their quarterback at 43. Yeah, I, I, Atlanta needs a quarterback. They have Marcus Mariota basically on, uh, based, effectively on a one-year contract, and you know they're going to see how he does, but I, I can't imagine Atlanta wanting to just go into the season with Mariota, so... I think they're they're like Seattle um, or Pittsburgh if if the Steelers can't get um, Malik Willis. I, I think that Atlanta could trade up into the end of the first round to take a Desmond Ritter, maybe Sam Howell, uh, maybe Matt Corral. Uh, I'm not really sure what Atlanta is looking for uh, in terms of quarterback because uh, this this new regime that they have hasn't drafted a quarterback yet. So I'm kind of I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how they how they uh, pursue that uh, position, but. 
Um, yeah, I, I think any of the, the second-round quarterbacks are open for Atlanta. Um, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, as I said, uh, Seattle, uh, maybe maybe Minnesota if they want to look past uh, Kirk Cousins. So those are the teams that could be looking for a quarterback on day two. Well, I'm as a Steeler fan, I love the fact that you have Sam Howe. I I've saw I saw watched Sam Howe in person uh, when he played the Hurricanes down in Miami two years ago or three years ago. Actually, it's hard to figure out the COVID in terms of what you were, we were at. <laughs> but uh, to me, he's Baker Mayfield. Like he plays like that. He just happened this past year he lost all his running backs, all his wide receivers and that's why he's in his offensive lineman. But I I've, I thought I like his fire. I know he's short, but I mean really he is just to me another Baker Mayfield that you can get. You have him going to the Steelers with the 52nd pick in the second round. Yeah, the Steelers are looking for a mobile quarterback, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, the, the height is the, the issue for Sam Howell. If, if you were taller, I think you would definitely see him in the first round and you could still get there. Um uh, Charlie uh, told me that he spoke to a team that has Sam Howell rated over Kenny Pickett. So uh, it's, it could be possible that, that Howell is the second quarterback off the board. And then it was interesting, you know, I think the running backs are going to be intriguing because you saw so many running backs, rookie running backs, of course, have success. But you had an interesting one, James Cook of Georgia, who was their star running back, going to the Giants. Don't they have Saquon Barkley at the 81st pick? And maybe some of these teams that we think have are set at running back will try to add another running back to their mix. Yeah, teams always seem to be looking for a running back in the round two to four range. Uh you know, when the Vikings had Adrian Peterson running great as, as uh, in his first or second year, they drafted Toby Gerhardt in the second round. Uh, I think I think Peterson was in his second year when they did that. Uh, so teams are always looking for running backs on day two or, or the fourth round. And Saquon Barkley hasn't been able to stay healthy the past two years. Uh, he tore his ACL uh, in 2020, in week two of 2020. And then last year, he, he was on and off the field frequently, just wasn't 100%. And the Giants, the Giants have brought in a lot of running backs on, on top 30 visits, and they've done a lot of work on James Cook and also uh, Brian Robinson. Those are the two running backs they've shown the most interest in. So um, unless this is smoke, I, I think that they're going to take one of those guys. Uh, it seems like they like James Cook the most because they really need uh, an insurance policy for, for Barkley just because he hasn't been able to stay healthy. I love your pick at 29 for the Chiefs with Jahan Dotson. Of course, I'm a Penn State fan, but he's been trying to catch. He's been attempting to catch balls that uh, Clifford's been throwing for the last, I think, three years. And, and I just have Clifford in no high esteem at all. And I'm thinking, I can go from Clifford to Mahomes? That's like driving a you know, a Pinto to a Maserati. I mean, there's no comparison. And I, I just, I'm, I, was, I would be very excited for Jahan Dotson uh, if he went to the Chiefs at 29. Yeah, the Chiefs really need a receiver, uh, and they could take one of many receivers. I, I'm actually, I, I think I'm going to have Dotson moving up in tomorrow's uh, mock no, draft. No, no, uh, no. may have him. <laughs> well, I may have him going to. I may have him going to Green Bay. So you're going to have Aaron Rodgers. So. Okay, that's <laughs> you, good. You'll, you'll be you'll be in good shape for uh, for Dotson there. So I, either way, I you know I I think some of these receivers who are going to go later. Uh, you're looking at Traylon Burks. Uh, Christian Watson, Jahan Dotson, um, maybe Sky Moore if he sneaks into the first round. Uh, they're going to be in better shape than the earlier receivers because it, it seems like they're going to go to better quarterbacks. Uh, the Chiefs uh, really need a receiver. Uh, the Packers uh, need one as well. And Dallas is looking at receivers. So uh, they're going to go to the teams with better quarterbacks than uh, than Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jamison Williams. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they, how they pan out uh, earlier in the career. So if people aren't familiar with Kirby Smart, on Thursday and Friday, they're going to see a lot of Kirby Smart because you really have, I mean, literally in the first two rounds, I mean, this is going to be a Nick Saban-like in terms of Georgia defense. I mean, how many? Six six people could be drafted in the first round from Georgia. Uh, but at what point, and this I, you would do this when you evaluate the Alabama players, at what point the defense was great. We understand Georgia's defense is amazing, but it, are, are all the players great? Or were there some players, if you're not putting on a defense like that, would not be as great and should not be a first-round grade, but, be, but because they were on this um, great ensemble of phenomenal players, this great defense, they're all somehow in the first-round picks. Yeah, it's a fair question for sure. Uh, you know, player, uh, great players make other players great, and uh, that that could definitely be the case. Uh, but you know, they they all tested very well at the combine. Uh, you saw Jordan Davis run a four seven eight. Uh, he was amazing. Uh, Devontae Wyatt had a great combine. He, he may slip because of character concerns. Um, and then you have Trayvon Walker, who was also terrific uh, at the combine. Uh, all these guys tested very well. So it's not like they, they tested mediocrely and, and, you know, you could, you could maybe make the argument. Uh, I, I think it's still a fair point, though. Um, 
they're not going to be surrounded uh, relatively with the same great um, ensemble. Um, but given that they're terrific athletes, I, I think there's uh, there's a good chance that most of them will pan out. And then Tampa Bay, you have, of course, Tampa Bay looking for offensive line help for Brady in the first round. But And I looked through your your drafts, you know, the, the rest of the drafts. You can actually go, you pick the entire draft, which is pretty exciting and amazing to go through. And I use your list. You're the list I use for the when I watch the entire draft because I just love how you rank the players and, and it's so easy to follow. So that's why I like walkerfootball.com. But the point is, do you where do you see in terms of, what, do you think the Bucks would actually move up to try to get a better offensive lineman because they've had so many defections the last year yeah i think they could do that uh there, there are two uh first round uh, caliber guards uh in this class you have kenyon green and zion johnson uh we've heard that dallas likes uh the, the two guards a lot so they could take the guards uh tennessee has, has shown interest in the guards so I, I think if tampa were to move up i think they'd have to move up to maybe number 23 uh they could trade with arizona i think that would make a lot of sense and kind of leapfrog uh, the two teams that would take the guards, um, and, and it would make sense for for the Buccaneers to move up. I mean, they're they're in win now mode. Uh, Tom Brady, you don't know how much longer he's going to play in the NFL. Uh, a few months ago, we thought he was done, and he's coming back. So um, they they need to protect Tom Brady. They had two guards um, lead the team, so uh, they acquired a guard. Now they have to get another one. Uh, so I think it makes sense to to move up because they're all in right now. And uh, another team that's all in is uh, the, across the state is Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. So where do you? I know they're not picking till the third round. M- does not appear they're going to move, but who knows? I mean, they this uh, the Hill trade came out of nowhere. What do you see the Dolphins trying to shore up in their picks, even if they just stay where they're at? So they they brought in a lot of um, players in the defensive uh, back seven, uh, a lot of linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties. Uh, seven of their top 30 visits uh, were devoted to to this group. So I, I think you're looking at um, a cornerback. I have Joshua Williams going there at, at pick 102. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, there, there's been some speculation uh, that one of the cornerbacks uh, could be traded. Obviously, they re-signed Xavier Howard, so he's not going to go. But Byron Jones could could be on the move. He's, he's expensive. Uh, so I think the Dolphins would be interested in a cornerback. Uh, linebackers, um, I, I, I think that that could be an issue uh, for them. Uh, they brought in more linebackers on top 30 business than any other position. Uh, so I think they're, they're also going to be interested in linebackers as well. And one last question for me, and then I'll throw it back to Mike. But what if there's one player who you feel that everyone is not really valuing that you said, but like if I call, we call next year, you're like, I told you so about this <laughs> player. What would that one player be uh, or one or two or whatever that you think that people just, they are not seeing what you're seeing. Hmm. Um, I think uh, Bayless Jones, uh, the receiver from Tennessee, um, he is he he's some great speed. Uh, he, he has some shaky hands, um, but uh, you know he's, he's nice size. He's six six zero two zero four. Uh, he's a four three one. Um, I, I think that you know with, with his game breaking speed, I, I, I feel like he would be a, a good a good player. Maybe like a, a Marcus Valdez Scantling type. Like I don't I don't know if he's going to be a superstar, but I think he could be a good starter in the NFL and. I've seen mock drafts with him going round four, round five, round six. I, I, I think that in this in this weaker class, I think he should go on day two at some point. Um, also, Sam Williams, uh, you know, I, I've seen him go on day three of the draft. Uh, he was very productive at, at Ole Miss, um, and I, I think he's he's very talented. So I, I could see him being a, a good starter in the NFL. We're speaking with Walter Cherapinski, WalterFootball.com, one of the premier draft resources across the entire internet, so check them out. So, <laughs> you know, five years ago, Walter, one of the least sexy things you could ever do was take an interior lineman early. Then Quinton Nelson came on the scene in 2018, sixth overall pick, and completely changed that. I'm not saying there's one of those in this draft, but last year we saw the Chiefs get Creed Humphrey later in the second round, immediate difference maker. A player that I love this year is Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. You have him in your most current draft going to Jacksonville with the first pick in the second round. I think this could be a huge win for the Jags, getting a player like this. What do you think about Linderbaum on the pro level? Can he be that maybe Quinton Nelson-esque type interior lineman at a center, and then he can also play guard? Yeah, I, I think he would be a lot better at center. Um, just uh, with the, with the length uh, issue, I, th- I think that's his only problem. But I, yeah, I think he's going to be a great starter uh, eventually in the in the NFL. Uh, the Jaguars lost Brandon Linder uh, to to uh, retirement, so uh, getting Tyler Linderbaum a top second round, I think it would be great. Uh, during during the pre draft process, uh, we've had Linderbaum going anywhere between. 
I, I would say like 20 and 33. I, I think the Steelers would take him if, if they couldn't get the quarterback or, or Kyle Hamilton. I, I think that's probably the earliest he would go. Uh, but, you know, he could definitely slip to 33. Um, and if he does, I, I think the Jaguars should definitely make that move because Trevor Lawrence last year, he just, he had no help. He, he struggled, but he had no blocking. He had no receiving help. And the Jaguars just really need to give him all the help that he can get. And they're not going to do that at number one because they're taking an edge rusher. Walter, where do we find you all across the Internet? Uh, so, yeah, WalterFootball.com. We have tons of draft coverage. Uh, we're going to be grading every pick during the draft. Uh, and also fantasy football content plus picks against the spread. So uh, you can check check us out at WalterFootball.com. Also on Twitter, at WalterFootball. Walter, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Is there a better yeah, resource in the world than WalterFootball.com when it comes to the NFL draft? Are we get the best here? Uh, it's really good. We've had we've had great. We're going to have another expert at the end. To next week, we'll have another. I'm working on having another draft expert come on to summarize how the drafts. So we've had really have three weeks in a row of draft experts. Ira, you were super excited last Saturday afternoon for a fight and that's not a very common thing but it ended up being a fun afternoon i loved it tyson fury versus dylan white and i even got my mom to watch it and she hates boxing because <laughs> this scene of ninety-four thousand people at wembley stadium the lights Everything was great. It was so loud, even from watching on TV. It was a spectacle. It's the fourth or fifth biggest attendance fight in the history of all time, going back to 1926 and 1927. And I thought it was an exciting fight. Fury is so fun to watch. He throws a lot of punches. He's an active heavyweight. White seemed to not, it seemed like in the first five, six rounds, it was the first six rounds that the Fury won, but he wasn't totally dominating the fight, Was seemed to win every round. But in the sixth round, he was able to get, he just threw that one punch knockout, knocked him out. Now White's saying, oh, he pushed me down. Well, he was knocked out. It was an uppercut and it just, what a punch. And then Fury is just so uh, telegenic and everything and singing afterwards. I mean, who gets, he wins and he sings uh, Bye Bye Miss American Pie <laughs> <the> song. <laughs> and, but very exciting. And I would love Usyk and Joshua fight next in the July. And if they, the winner of that fight will, will then, hopefully, Fury says I'm retiring, but of course retirement boxing means nothing. But if you could get, if it's Joshua who's English against, they could put a quarter of a million fans in, in a stadium for Joshua's first fury but he's a fun fighter to watch I love watching the fight I'm glad it was not like a one in the morning it was so fun to, it was over at five o'clock in the afternoon it worked out perfectly Perfect. and and yeah we're seeing one of the you know great fighters um, go down here and I, I agree with you Bo retirement and boxing until they call you with a big paycheck <laughs> it's not uh, it's not over yet let's go to baseball Ira and I knew that there was something special about Miguel Cabrera watching him almost two decades ago and then a triple crown, which I really thought I would never see in my life. He accomplished that a few years ago. Now, 3,000 hits, and we may not see one for a while. Well, it's sad because the last few years he's played terrible. You know, he's just been into injuries. You wonder if he didn't get injured the last four or five years. He signed that big contract, where his numbers would be. But they're great no matter what. He has 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, 300 uh, th uh, three, uh, uh, runs batted in. Only Aaron Mays and, and him have those numbers. Yeah. So it was just unbelievable. But... There no he there might not be like six seven years before someone gets three thousand and even that's not a lock. No, Robbie Cano has twenty six hundred, but he's thirty nine. Molina has twenty six hundred, he's thirty nine. Vado's had his two thousand thirty eight. You have to go all the way down to like Altuve at thirty two years old with seventeen hundred, and then maybe Freeman at thirty two years old seventeen hundred, and Machado Machado is twenty nine at fourteen hundred. So that means in the next part of his career he'd have to. And Trout is thirty with fourteen hundred. I mean this is not a lock. That we're going to see another three that in like the next seven, eight, nine years. It, it could not happen until the next super wave with the Sotos and Tatises because this class, you would think that Mike Trout was right there. And he's a long way away for someone that's 30 years old. He's got to get almost better over the next decade. It's not easy. And I think it's great that we're sort of now coming back to sort of the appreciation tour of someone like Pujols and Cabrera because we go back and look at their careers because the last few years they've been terrible. He has really just been in Detroit. The team's bad. Everything's bad. We just don't realize, wow, for the number of like seven, eight years, how great. You mentioned the Triple Crown. I mean, he's hitting 30, 40 home runs every year. He's hitting 200 hits every year. He's driving in 150 runs. I mean, this is an elite, elite right-handed hitter. Let's go to golf here, Ira. And I could have, you know, I should have looked at this as someone who does like to gamble a little bit. Looking at Cantlay and Xander Shoffley at plus 800 to win the Zurich 
seem like a pretty safe Mike, bet. Mike, you told me about this. I don't know I don't, why you, you should I do it. it. I know, but that, again, it was like, I didn't watch any of this, I have to admit. Um, there was Kelly and Shuffler, one team, Morikawa and Hovland, and Palmer and Scheffler were the other, but it was, uh, it was not, it was like one of those team tournaments that uh, sort of, but, but again, Kelly and Shuffler, easily won wire to wire. Um, <laughs> what's next on the PGA Tour? Schedule? What I like real fast, I'm going to say, is that it, the way they do is Mexico, Wells Fargo, and Byron Nelson, and then PGA Championship. And what it is is you'll have three tournaments in a major, three tournaments in another major, and then three tournaments, and then the uh, the FedEx the Tour Championship. So it really sets up nice the rest of the summer that you really have like once a month. This is what they wanted to have is once a month have either the Tour Championships or the or the St. Andrews or the U.S. Open or PGA Championship. And hopefully we'll get to see Tiger in the majors, and maybe the Memorial would be the other event I would think you go to. So Live Golf is building a lot of excitement, a lot of steam. Are you excited? I'm excited because the fact is that I am getting pounded on my on the internet, like on my the stories that come up. It's like Greg Norman, who's the architect or sort of the face of it, is the worst person in the world. Everything you hear about it's so terrible. But the fact is, now they've announced that 15 of the top 100 golfers are going to be in this tournament. It's the first tournament is in England, um, and this could be a battle. I mean, I'm, I'm I like battles, so the PGA is going to go after this and see what happens. But they're offering 25 million dollars, which is double what the Masters offered <laughs> as a as a, a purse and that's what Norman said look if you want these losers that are that you think that are so bad winning all this money that you enter the tournament and we mentioned maybe someone like Sergio Garcia some people at the end of their career this is a chance for them to win the 5 and 10 million dollars they might probably enter this and say okay if the PGA wants to ban me that's fine but uh, this is something I like to get into you'll see the European golfers maybe invent this but. and I don't blame them Why? especially if, you, if you're if you only taking 40 grand a week home on the PGA Tour why not go make tens of millions I mean you kept hearing comments that when Rory came and after the whole with Mickelson it's like this is dead it's dead it's dead well don't keep telling me it's dead 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 when there seems to be some interest in it and the more they say it's dead the more I think there is still more interest in it money finds a way sometimes Ira what's going on in racing um, it was Rome this was right outside where Ferrari has their headquarters and Ferrari's waiting for a big day they didn't uh, Carlos Seitz in the first lap crashed his car one of the Ferrari cars and Charles Leclerc was within fourth place or third place and then right he ran over the curb trying to become the second place and end up finishing in ninth and Verstappen for Red Bull ended up winning and uh, Sergio Perez his teammate finished in second and uh, Lewis Hamilton just a terrible car. I mean, he finished in 14th, is miserable, he's depressed. I mean, now people are saying, wait, is it you're the driver, you're the car? And it's a, <laughs> it's a bad situation, but now it's going to come to uh, Miami in two weeks, and we get to hopefully get someone on next week to talk about it. But I'm pumped and really excited for the event in my the Formula One, the first one in uh, the Hard Rock Stadium. And what else is going on? NASCAR in Talladega. It was uh, Talladega, the super speedway. It was sort of, in the end, uh, Michael Jordan's drivers, Bubba Wallace and Kurt Busch, were going against Pitbull's drivers. Drivers of track horse, of track horse <laughs> racing, and Pitbull won. Beat Michael Jordan. Ross Chastain won the Talladega. At the end, there was, of course, the last lap was crashes all over the place. So, but uh, Ross Chastain won. But it's exciting to have the Jordans and the Pitbulls involved in racing. Um, talking about tennis, you're really excited about Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos Alcaraz won the Miami Open. He just came back and then he won Barcelona. He actually had to play. Talk about athletes that don't want to play the days off this. He had to play in the morning his semifinal match. He played a three-set, three-hour match where he had match points against him and he came back in the afternoon and played in the final. And so tennis he, is exhausting. exhausting. <laughs> and he played two matches. Now he's only 18 years old. But we're looking for the next superstar in tennis. We've been looking, looking, looking. He's starting to look like a superstar. And this Carl, and we saw him in Miami and he's full of energy and enthusiasm. He's Nadal's protege. Nadal's been working with him since he's been like four or five years old so the point is this is very exciting for tennis to have someone at 18 we'll see what he does in the majors the French Open's coming up in Wimbledon and we'll see with that you know you talk about we are you know starting to lose that old guard in tennis one of the good players is Daniil Medvedev and we're not going to see him much. Well, I made this prediction. I felt that. I yeah, looked at I felt that the England and I was surprised the French didn't, but I felt that they were going to ban the Russians and the Belarusian. Belarus actually has a lot of good tennis players too, but they in Medvedev and, and Rublev, and you're going to see top five of the top 32 players not be able to play in Wimbledon because of the conflict and the invasion Russia had over Ukraine. And I wasn't surprised because this has happened before in, in terms of sports during World Wars and those things of, of the German soldiers 
old uh, athletes were banned. But uh, that is, is definitely a, something that's going to be in Wimbledon. And Wimbledon made that stance. And Djokovic said, well, this is fair. Look, we put everybody involved. People should be there. But the fact is that they made that stance. And now you're not going to see Russians or Belarusians. And it is a significant number of the top players in the world. So the NHL playoffs start next Monday. Uh, we're, we'll have someone from the Panthers next Monday, hopefully Randy Moeller, one of the uh, one of the broadcast affiliates. It's pretty much figured out who's going to be in. But the real fight now, Ira, our Florida Panthers are battling the Colorado Avalanche for the President's Cup, the most points scored in hockey. So far, the Panthers are ahead by four. There's three games to play for them, three games for Colorado. It's going to come down to the wire, but this is going to be a good series. Well, I am so, like, you can sense the enthusiasm for the Florida Panthers here. This is This is great. And, I mean, we're here, it's going to be, when they're playing, it's going to be 90 degrees outside and we're talking <laughs> hockey. And that's, I think, what hockey wanted. But I think that's what really, again, they've been building to this. Every year getting better, every year improving, every year adding something. And now this is the year. But, unfortunately, hockey is one of those things where it is not the best team that wins every year. It's how your goalie is. And we'll see what happens. Even if they win the President's Cup, it's no guarantee they'll be in the finals. Three years ago, before Tampa Bay won twice in a row, they won the President's Trophy most points, then got swept in the first round by the eight seed. That's <laughs> hockey. Um, so we won't physically be at the NFL draft, but Iron Sports will have presence there. I have a social media person. She's going to be at a party that Terrell Owens is going to be at. Um, there, she'll be there sending pictures from the draft. I have gone to a dozen drafts. It used to be in Radio City Music Hall. I loved going to the draft. I would go to the draft. It wouldn't even be that easy. It would be an easy ticket, $1,500 get get in. And I loved it. They give you a great bag of swag. They could put the radio so you can listen to the NFL. It was sort of like under the radar in terms of, I mean, Radio City Music Hall only was like three, 4,000 people at the draft. Now there'll be a million plus, maybe 2 yeah. million people in Vegas. It's not really people sitting there watching the draft. I used to have my notes with my pens and pencils and writing. It's a little bit yeah. different than it used to be. Now they travel, they're traveling circuses all around the place. And it's in the pool where the Bellagios are. It's crazy. It'd be great for TV, but not as exciting to, I don't know when I'll go to another draft again. That'll be, <laughs> But she'll be there sending pictures out. It'll be great. She'll be going to all the parties. Yep. So make sure you follow at Ira on sports across social media. We're out of time. Thanks so much to Walter Cherapinski, WalterFootball.com. He's Ira, a Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Iron Sports.